Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to this week's edition of the Feeling Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and with me, ready to care for this conversation like he would a cactus, is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. <laughs> I actually can relate to Sadie in that regard in this movie because I'm very much the same. Like, I, you will not find me with a plant. Now, I can do pets. Pets work because pets give love back. Pets show up in your bed at night. I'm getting a new dog tomorrow, picking up a new puppy, bringing her into the home. But plants, man, you're not going to find me watering a plant every single day. So the cactus is a perfect choice. Yeah, it's I'm, I'm the same way. If it doesn't have a face, I don't really care about it. That's really kind of how I feel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if it can't look at me or look at my face or, you know, I can't see <laughs> two beady eyes, I, uh, I just don't care. <laughs> That's great. Well, this week we are talking about the Apple TV released feature Ghosted, starring Chris Evans and Anna Darmus. It's got laughs, it's got action, but did it get our attention? Well, let's find out, shall we? This is your official spoiler alert. We will be talking in depth about the movie. It's two hours of fun, I'll tell you that, just as our own spoiler up front. But uh, yeah, so check it out. It's released. It's ready to go. Definitely worth checking out. That being said, I want to start our conversation real quick by just asking the question, do you think this is more action comedy or romantic comedy or a blend of both, or is it something else entirely? Well, yeah, it's both. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean that's the kind of a simple question to answer. Yeah. Here's what I will tell you from my experience with it. I loved the flow of this film, and I think it worked you know, in a really interesting way because it starts off as a very traditional rom-com. You put in our notes, you called it Hallmark-esque. And as the Hallmark guy, I understand why you would go there. It really does sort of feel like that. I mean, it feels like the plot of a Hallmark movie, but with two A-star actors <laughs> and a lot better like camera work and not that the camera work is anything special but it's just it doesn't look cheap right it looks expensive and i was sucked in man from that opening meet cute between them at the farmer's market with them arguing over the plants and <laughs> it's just it's such great role reversal i i think chris evans has needed to do more of this throughout his career because he's so good at it but you're used to him being this alpha, right? Whether he's the big, mean, angry son, bad guy in Knives Out, or whether he's Captain America, for him to be this guy who's like complaining because you're not treating the plant with enough respect is just, it's it's funny. It's inherently funny because of who he is and who he typically plays. And I love it when filmmakers can do that and, and kind of understand their star power of their actors and use that with the plot to to make it more effective. And I just loved it, man. Them walking around all day. I bought every bit of the chemistry of this as a typical rom-com. That entire first section I thought was perfect. I had no notes. Like it just, it was so good to me. I thought that the two of them were great together and just it's fire. Like just 
instantaneous, perfect, romantic fire. And I will also say, I really appreciated, Patrick, that the sex scene between them was old school rom-com sex scene. And it was fine. Like, it was sweet. And it made the point (laughs) that they slept together that night. And that was it. Like, we didn't need to see... Some overly seductive, like I've been in watching a bunch of erotic thrillers on Criterion Channel. There's a a place for that that makes sense. And there's a place that it just doesn't need. You didn't need like some steamy sex scene (laughs) after the meet cute, right? But like a lot of Berlin playing in the background. (laughs) Exactly. There's so many movies that do stuff like that. And I just I was really glad that we just kept it simple. It's told us what we needed to know and we move on. Yeah. The first half of this, I agree. The first part of it, because I think the back two thirds is all action adventure. I think that when I watch this, it feels very Hallmark-esque in that you have a character who is sort of down on his luck. He's got a past and he meets this girl that's going to like fulfill his desires. And I like that the movie doesn't go so deep into his identity or her identity that that's what we're focused on. It uses those as sort of points to be made that help their relationship sort of coalesce, like coagulate or whatever the word is, because it is different. I think that's the appeal for an audience is seeing Chris Evans as not the alpha, seeing Anna de Armas in the Bond role and seeing sort of how he reacts to it, because you're right. So many times we see him in such a dominating fashion that to see him as this guy who is all about the organics the certifieds you know working in a farmer's market it on the surface if if it stayed there that's very much a hallmark quality but then you add in his relationship with his family and why he's doing it it adds a little bit of texture to it and i think that's really nice because it doesn't overstep that stuff but it makes it just apparent enough that it gives me reason to go Why would he go to London? Why does he desire to get overseas? And so all of it just sort of fits in a very safe way in that first part of the movie. And it gets you comfortable. It gets you thinking, oh, that's fun. Chris Evans, they they look so cute. They're going to have good looking babies. You know, it's that kind (laughs) of cool thing. And then we get to the the boom part where (laughs) he's he's being kidnapped and we've realized that she's basically the female Ethan Hunt. And it's at this point that I was like, oh my gosh, this is the uncharted romantic comedy that I never thought I needed, but I'm glad I got. Because everything about the back two thirds felt big and I will say 90s blockbustery or early 2000s blockbustery. So. so we talk about in, I don't know if it was this year or last year, all the years seem to run together since COVID, but when we were talking through... Uh, Marry Me as being sort of a throwback to the early 2000s romantic comedies. I felt like this was kind of an updated version of A Jewel of the Nile, where we have sort of a a sense of action adventure, pretty big set pieces, but not so crazy that they feel like Marvel-esque. Yeah. <laughs> we kind I of expected. Yeah. I would say that. I would go with, like, for me, like, The Jewel of the Nile comp would probably be The Lost City from last yes, year, right? Absolutely, absolutely. This to me felt like true lies. Okay, yeah. Yeah, great great example, great comparison there. Because the set pieces fit really perfectly that it didn't look like Fast 7. 
or Fast 8 or Fast Thankfully. 9, where things yeah. have just gotten progressively bigger, they felt appropriately sized for what was going on. I mean, you have that bus sequence that I thought was just phenomenal to watch, but it felt very contained. It didn't, I didn't ever feel like, you know, Anna Darmus's character is superhuman or that Chris Evans was going to break out a shield at some point and do his thing. I always felt like this is very human. This is practical effects. Uh, mixed in with maybe some CG here and there, especially during the slow motion sequences where we see guys flying off their hel- or their motorcycles and you know off the cliff. But I think that the stark contrast in these two sets of this movie make it good because they're so different from each other. But you need that chemistry between these two in order to in order to sell it. I can believe that Chris Evans' character as Cole is who he is. But the accent piece for me is something like his inhaler. You know, where it's, it's like, so oh, good. Look, Cap- <laughs> Captain so America's funny. got asthma. And, so funny. But it, it's funny, but it becomes the crux of how he gets to London because apparently it's got this little sensor in it. That's it's got, in it's got an Apple AirTag, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like, wait a minute, hold on here. That whole and sequence with his family too, like with her, oh act, his sister, I mean, the casting there of like Tate Donovan, who for me, it's always going to be Jimmy Cooper from the OC. I know he's also like the voice of Hercules. He was in Argo, but he's always going to be my Jimmy Cooper. And and then you have Amy <laughs> Sedaris. And it was just, I just adored the whole family dynamic. And, and I think to your point about like kind of that comparison of, of era, it didn't overplay that. Like they were there and they served a very brief purpose to kind of give us some information about his who he was as a person. We learned that he has he's he's a hopeless romantic and he has a habit of being needy and smothering. And I was like, I'm exactly like Chris Evans. I'm basically Chris Evans, guys. Like that is my takeaway. So, ladies, we are the one and the same right down to the sex appeal, obviously. So, like, you know, it was easy for me to, like, look at this character and be like. This could happen to me. <laughs> I, I won't. And Armas is not going to show up on my doorstep with a cactus or whatever. But like, I felt like it could. And I, and his family helped really sell that for me. And that made the movie so much more fun, I think, to your point. Yeah. As we get into the action stuff, because he wasn't too bumbly, because that's kind of what happens usually. You either get a, a, a character that is too much of a badass, where... It's it's impossible to believe that that person couldn't just save the day themselves or they put that character in the light of being a complete and utter dope who is hopeless and completely incapable of even helping. But instead, we get a perfect middle ground of that and we get, you know, the predictable stinger of like him using his plants to say do something and you know that's going to happen at some point right but it worked they did it well Mm -hmm. well i think one of the things that you touched on is his family i think this is where my heart went out with a lot of glee tate donovan i think steals the the scene every time we see him and the family love that he calls him coleslaw i think that's fantastic i do i'm always gonna know funny and is but but again if there's a character in here that i relate to it's tate donovan's character it's that dad i i turned to my wife and i said if carson grows up to be chris evans in this movie if if he grows up to be a cole i'm gonna be the one that does that i'm hoping that he's not gonna be texting girls like 15 times with (laughs) emojis that don't count apparently that was great (laughs) 
that was great. That was great. <laughs> and I and I love the running gags of these things, like the wrestling uh, story and all that kind of stuff. But I think you're absolutely right. His family sets up that quirky dynamic. And you can tell how much they care about him. His mom is like, oh, you're a hopeless romantic. You're great. His sister's giving him crap as a sister is supposed to do. And his dad's like, I believe in your son. Whatever you want to do, you're great. Uh, Tate Donovan's always going to be Kevin Donaldson from Space Camp. I'm always going to remember him from that movie. And that's one that, that I'll quote for days and days because it's just a great, fun 80s movie. But watching how he, as Cole how they he and um Darmus's character connect in those early moments the banter i think is what we get connected to like that whole beef with the plant that becomes a running gag about how you can't take care of plants cuz you're never home and and then he's like kind of taking hold of the whole shop where <laughs> the actual shop owner is like that'll be 10 dollars when she like, realizes no, that i this. died she's like you don't even own this oh so good <laughs> And then the plant falls and breaks. Oh my gosh. And she's perfect. just like, she's like, please don't see that. Please don't see that. Please don't see that. When <laughs> and it's never car. brought up again. No, it's never he doesn't see again. it. But, um, but as that bleeds into the, the next part, I think that knowing, I almost didn't want to go into this watching the trailers because I knew what the term was going to be. I think it would have been a fantastic reveal, but it was still really good because you basically have to kind of merge these two, not only genres, but you have to kind of create a plot that's going to cohesively feel like it's going to move into this. And so when he gets hunted down by, I believe it's Levesque's guys. Yes. Because they think he's the tax man. <laughs> I wrote down in my notes, there are two things that happen way too much. One is the word, the tax man. Yes. said. And another is the word passcode. I'm tired. Yes. I did no guys so tired of hearing the tax man and passcode. But yes, that yeah. they for so, I still don't understand why they thought he was the tax man. I didn't care. It was yeah. one of those things where you just accept it. So this is this is where I'm this is where I was a little not disappointed by any means, but this is where I felt like the level got lowered or where they lightened up on the formula. Because in a in an MI movie in a bond movie you're going to you're going to play deeply with the thing to be found like the the secret suitcase or the main villain and i really felt like i don't think the writers and directors and the creative team would ever apologize for lightening up this part of the story because the fact is i think what they're doing is they're just using these as mechanisms to get to the end like they recognize that Cole and Sadie are the people we're following we really don't care about Levesque, even though Adrian Brody's fantastic. I mean, I think he he's just great and everything. He's okay in this, but he's not given enough to really kind of get deep into his character necessarily. But I think all these things, the the bomb or the thing, him, uh, all the henchmen and stuff like that, they're all meant to in service to these two characters. It's different from Mission Impossible or from James Bond, where the mission the thing is also just as important as the man or the group that are actually going after it. So we love seeing Ethan Hunt. We love seeing his team, but we also love finding out the mystery behind what X is. You know, what is this thing about gross ghost protocol or whatever? And I, I think that's good because if you had 
really gone deep into that part of the story, I would have lost a little bit of interest in Sadie and in Cole because that's right. Because the plot would have been more interesting. Exactly. Is just there to give them a reason to be together. And I think that's where some of the criticism might come from for this movie, where it feels light. It feels very kind of, you know, surface level. It's meant to be. It's not meant to be an action adventure by by design. It's meant to be a romantic action, romantic comedy, all these things. And so the question I have when I watch a movie like this is, is it serviceable? (laughs) Are the characters that we're following, are what they're doing cohesive? Yep, I think they are. I mean, who cares why he is thought of as a tax man? He needs to be rescued by Sadie. And Sadie needs to... Here's the thing that I found surprising, Aaron, is that she just kills people. Like, it's not like she's wounding people. No question. I mean, this is very much like... Double taps, like, guys, too, when they're down yeah, already yeah, to make this sure. Is, <laughs> this is Joel light is what this is. This is like if The Last of Us went like PG-13 or even a, a heavy PG, that would be her. But I didn't expect that. I didn't expect her to be so hardcore when it came to like killing people. Like She had no hesitation. But again, the reason why is because there are a couple of scenes, one scene in particular after he's being rescued, where she gives him the gun and he refuses to kill people. He's like, stick him up. Stick him up. She's like, no, boom, he's dead. And it just reinforces how uh, that that idea that she just has no connection to anybody. And I think that that's really smart because it creates a little bit of shock value. It enhances her um, her drive, her ability to be the alpha, which she's supposed to be in this. And it reminds us that the more you shoot, the less people you have to hang out with, essentially. <laughs> you, you don't have any yeah, connections. Totally. And and I think you know, again, it, with it, I, I compare it to True Lies because it's so light. And it you said it, it's meant to be. And that's where I get upset about criticism. I don't get upset, but that's where I just can't go there. I don't get ups I don't myself get upset, rather, about it not doing something deeper because I get just enough of the layered expectations, the tropes, the things that I want to be in there there are a couple of small pieces of gadgets and tech in this movie there's nothing crazy there's just a couple little things there's the electrocution tablet deal right which you're thinking to yourself oh yeah of course like a cia person is going to have something like that or you know there's this idea of the the dna coat that has to open the safe which is really intriguing so those are little bits and bobs of the spy genre without getting, like you said, too deep to become a full mission impossible story. And I thought that worked great. It was just enough to keep the propulsive action and comedic nature of their relationship within it chugging along. Yeah. Um, And, and that's all I wanted. And, And, you know, it does get a little wild. I will admit, you know, as I fully expected something to be kind of eye roll worthy at some point, And at the end, as cool as it is, it's absolutely ridiculous and unrealistic that this spinning space needle esque dome thing or whatever up on the top, it, you know, they're like on one pane of glass and shooting the pane of glass next to them and they're fine. But only that one pane of glass is affected like what's in front of it. It's just there's so many like, come on. 
that that whole sequence was just off the walls, like not at all likely. But it's you kind of expect that, right? Yeah, yeah but it's, it's fun. It, yeah, because I mean, if you think about the premise of this whole thing, I mean, that seems really far fetched that. I'm going to meet somebody and then they're going to ghost me and I'm going to realize that they're actually a CIA agent. I mean, it's it's very preposterous. I mean, you can make the same argument for Mission Impossible because there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens there. But the thing is, we don't care because that franchise has set up a level of absurdity or a level of expectation when it comes to like big bigness plus Tom Cruise is all about the practical effects and he does his own stunts at like, what, 85 years old or however old he is now, that when I watch the bus sequence, which is probably my favorite of the big action set pieces, I think it's just, it's really cool. It's really well shot. There's a lot of great blocking in it. It very much reminded me of a Fast and Furious movie, you know, hanging out of a out of the bus and combined with speed. You know, when you use a moving vehicle, you're... You can be limited on what you do. The fact that she was driving backwards for half of the thing was just fantastic. And I think it put on full display like her capabilities as an agent. Whereas the the spinning restaurant room, it started becoming a Gravitron at some point. I turned to Christian. I was like, oh, look, it's the Gravitron. I did that. Yeah, I rode that at the state fair a number of years ago, and I had a lot of fun with it. So there's an absurdity that lives in action movies. And I think there's sometimes that particular piece kind of went above and beyond just for spectacle. Like, I think when you put together a piece like that, you're going, okay, how big can this be? And I don't know that it served a practical purpose. When I look at the bus sequence, I feel like it does serve a practical purpose because one, you're getting from point A to point B, you're being chased. So that basic concept, you're trying to get out of that, how you get there means it makes more sense to me as opposed to a spinning restaurant where you're like, how do you slow that down? I mean, right. what are you going to do? It's just, there's well, so and, many other questions I have. And there's relationship that. dialogue happening too, because the bus scene is so good too, because they're, they're flirting <laughs> the whole time. It is a car chase gunfight and flirtathon between the two of them. And it's just so hilariously cute at that point. And by the time you get to the finale, you're not really worried so much about cute. You use the perfect word. It's spectacle. It's the bomb's going to go off. We have to save the world or we have to save people or we have to, you know, prevent the end of whatever. And it's a, it's a much bigger stakes feeling than you have the small stakes of just the two people that are involved in that very singular moment. And so they're just they're two different types of scenes. And, and I enjoyed them both for the, what they are. But yeah, I think that the bus scene for sure is the standout. It just, it comes at the perfect time. It's, it's really a ideal bridge between what we saw as a rom-com and the action adventure full on spy part, because he doesn't know what's going on and him being in the dark and just coming into this world and trying to understand and learn what's going on. It works out great. And I love the little, like, other folks that show up in this Tim Blake Nelson, when he shows up as the guy that is going to torture Chris Evans's character, when he gets captured, he's, his name is Borislav in this movie. And you don't expect somebody that you recognize well to just 
be dispatched of. Anytime that happens in a movie, I applaud them because I love it when you subvert my expectation. You see, show that guy and I'm like, oh, this could be like the big bad villain. Like to, to me, that's Tim Blake Nelson's like almost level, right? Like he's achieved that status to where he's either a right hand man or the big bad himself. And so when you use him in this hilarious manner and then get rid of him within five minutes, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, anything can happen. And I love that. I do, too. And I think that as much as I was spoiled by the trailer, it made me want to watch it, which is what trailers are supposed to do. What I wasn't spoiled by was the number of cameos that showed up in this. I was so I was good. actually I was actually just like taken aback. Like, I, I, what, 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 oh, what's I was going on? 100 percent like, same way. Did, I was like, did, what? I feel so wait, bad for people who are going to have it spoiled. Because it's just it, such a great experience. It really is. Like, and this is probably one of the most memorable scenes because, again, it goes down, it comes down to blocking. And at one point, when my wife laughs out loud, I know that something's just really tickling her. Um, I'll tell you, just full disclosure if you want to get my wife to laugh for sure, show her videos of people falling down and, in particular, other, older people, you know, just <laughs> oh tripping over gosh. themselves and lo- the long falls, <laughs> you know. She just gets so tickled at that. Whereas I love pranks. I like when seeing people like get scared. Anyway, when this whole sequence starts and they're walking and you have <laughs> you have Anthony Mackie as the grandson of Sam. I was like, oh, cool. I, oh, cool. That's neat. Yeah. Captain America and Falcon. That's that's neat. And then he gets killed off and John Cho steps in as the leopard. <laughs> I'm like wait a minute hold on and then <laughs> and then sebastian stan comes in as god <laughs> yeah put that in air quotes i'm like oh my gosh right this has to be by design and then of course the, the the exclamation point was later on with ryan reynolds uh just appearing out of nowhere in the restaurant scene saying as the ex-boyfriend as the ex-boyfriend right and it's just so fantastic the thing that you have to be careful of is when those things have a tendency to vault the movie and distract you and be the thing that you remember from this. And I didn't feel that. I felt like these were very much like plus ones for me. Because I think in particular the tr- the the trinity of people, like the triplet of bounty hunters that just kept getting offed, again reinforced what Levesque was saying. It's like, listen, I need these guys alive. And cuz you know, the tax man knows the passcode, you know, to use that one more time. And I I think that if it had been done differently, it would have been just as like satisfying. But that's what people would be talking about at the end of the movie. Oh, that was so cool. We basically had an Avengers reunion. And you mentioned to me offline that Scarlett Johansson was initially tagged to be in the same, you know, in Anna Darvis' role. Yeah. She had to drop out. As Sadie. And it would have been absolutely, you know, picture perfect there. I'm glad we didn't get that, though. Because it would have felt like an Avengers movie. Like when you have Chris Yes, exactly. And I didn't want and I didn't want that. It wouldn't have been believable because I would have thought, oh, this is like depowered Captain America dating uh, dating Black Widow. That's what this is. Whereas Anna de Armas, I know they have chemistry. I know they've been in roles before with um with I was gonna uh, say Knives Out. They're in Knives Out together, but you don't think about that in the same way you would immediately I think it's because the kind of the type of movie too. Because if you start seeing Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson in action scenes in a spy movie, and she's a spy, I'm like, I mean, 
it's yeah. she's just being Black Widow, right? But exactly. this is not this is the opposite of the type of characters they played in Knives Out. Yeah. So watching watching this whole sequence play out and then watching, you know, getting that that real quick cameo uh with Ryan Reynolds, I think just added to the self-awareness that the creators were looking at for this. And again, I this is why I think you shouldn't have to apologize for a lighter version of Mission Impossible or maybe a heavier version of romantic comedy. And that's why I think this feels fresh to me because it doesn't feel like two genres mashed together. It feels like an elevation of one and a, a throttling back of another in order to make sure that those two pieces fit well together. Because when you have a romantic comedy, it seems impossible, as I use that word, to have um, Indiana Jones or Mission Impossible-esque type stakes. Wouldn't make sense. But if you only had romantic comedy level action, it would feel like a Hallmark movie. And that doesn't jive with these actors. It doesn't jive with the budget. (laughs) And so when you walk into a movie theater, you can get that on Hallmark Channel. I want to get that on the big screen, metaphorically speaking, even though it's on Apple TV Plus. And I think that's why it works so well for me because it gives me the best of both worlds without feeling like I'm cheating one or cheating the other. Yep, I completely agree. And and it feels like a rewatchable to me. Mm-hmm. I always give some points and credit for that where when I finished it, I wanted to watch it again. I was looking forward to watching it again and it was a kind of movie that I know I can immediately recommend to people that I know. And I mean, I watch a lot of movies, I review stuff every single week, new releases, and there's a lot of the majority of movies I can't recommend to everybody. But I texted you while I was watching it, and I was like, we got to talk about this. It's not going to be deep, but it's going to be fun. And I know you'll enjoy it, and your wife will enjoy it. And I immediately texted my other friend, Andy, and I was like, Dude, you and your wife are going to love this movie. And I texted my friend Tammy and I'm like, you and your husband, you got to put this movie on. Like, you guys are going to just go, go, you know, and that's the thing is it's perfectly suited for people who don't need everything to be six layers deep of franchise storytelling that you have to know to catch all of the details, right? You just come right. in. This is this is a Friday night popcorn movie, man. This felt to me like the kind of flick that I, my dad and mom would get on a Friday night and we'd come home. I, I don't know. When I watched it, I just got that vibe. Like it was as if I had had pizza and I was sitting there with that bowl of popcorn, just smiling and laughing and giggling and probably as a teenager, just drooling over Anna Armas, or if I, you know, over Chris Evans, whoever, you know, one of the, either way you win, you know, they're both beautiful people. So yeah, it just, the, the mixture was just such a great balance for me. I think so too. And when I, you know, when I think about, we've had these conversations before, we don't need to rehash them, but we talk about movies as an art form and how they have to apparently either elevate themselves or be beneath something in order to find some kind of qualifying value so it either has to be the room which is so bad it's good or it has to be oscar worthy or something that that hits you like in a in a deep place it has to mean something like the it basically has to be like richard dreyfus this means something this is important 
And I really want to see more movies like this that champion the fun, champion the entertainment of going to movies. When COVID happened and the movie theater shut down, people were like, why? Why go back? And folks like Christopher Nolan will say, every movie that I make should be viewed in the theater. And you can have that attitude. I mean, he makes great movies and his movies are, quote, made to be on the big screen. Sometimes I think that's detrimental because as a director, as a creator, not every movie is made for that. I think this is a movie that could fit well in both. I think it's great to watch going into a dark theater and experiencing all the big stuff. I think it's just as good on a great 4K television. But the experience of the movie doesn't have to live up to this. Well, it's not as good as no, it's not. And it doesn't need to be. Well, at least it's not as bad as nope, doesn't have to be that way either. It can be just that. And I think the accessibility of it is what we need to start championing in is can a movie like this be accessible? Do we need more of this? Yes, we do. The Lost City is another great example. Marry Me is another great example. These are movies that you can recommend to a wide base of people within reason and say, it's good. Go see it. And you don't have to say you need to see it multiple times. This is not a seeing street for me. I don't expect it to be. I didn't expect it to be. I expected to laugh. I expected to be entertained. And it checked off those boxes just fine. And for movies to get degraded because they don't live up to a potential that they're not meant to, I think is really unfair. And I want to see more of these movies that are unapologetic about their regularness <laughs> because regular is okay. Regular is just fine. All right. Anything else before we wrap up this episode, Aaron? I don't think so. I okay. just hope that everyone has allowed themselves to have fun with it. I figure pretty much the people that are listening to this episode have a most likely seen the movie and B liked it or they wouldn't really be tuning into an episode about it. So hopefully you guys are just out there listening and smiling and having fun, thinking back to the moments in the movie as we're talking about them and enjoying it as well. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think that this is going to have a, I'm really curious. I'm really interested to see what kind of rotten tomatoes difference this has. I, I know having, I've seen some critic reviews and they were like one star and I just shook my head and I just have a feeling it's going to be one of those like Super Mario in a way that has a huge divide between like audience score and between the critical like reaction to it. So I'll be looking forward to seeing how yeah. that shakes out. But well, we whatever. I had fun. I did, too. And um, I'm like you. It'll be one that I, I pick up again at some point. Um, and. Not before this week, uh, because this week we are staying home. We are going to be covering Peter Pan and Wendy. So, listeners, this is uh, a recommendation from Aaron. His words, David Lowry has yet to let me down. So, let's put this on okay. the schedule. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I will own that. You can go back and listen to our episode on The Green Knight. I don't know what else we've covered. The ghost, I think I talked about a ghost story with Dawn at one point. Yep. Yeah. I love everything I, this man has made. Well, so there is a style, there is a point, there is a, a way in which he directs. I have not seen his full filmography. A Ghost Story is on my list to watch at some point uh, because I know that it's gotten such high marks. Peace uh, Dragon. He's hold Pe I mean, if you're Peace Dragon, if you're looking for the comp, you, you got to assume it's going to be Peace Dragon, which most people believe is the best live action Disney remake. 
Okay. That's what he made. That, he did. Okay. He did. David. He did. He did. And it was phenomenal. And Pete's so. Pete's Dragon? I thought that was. It's okay. David Lowry. He made the live action okay. version of it. I was thinking Jungle Book. I was thinking yeah. Jungle Book. Yeah. John Favreau. That's John so, Favreau. Okay. So okay. yeah, I, I, I believe I can fly. No, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's going to be okay. <laughs> We've already covered air. We don't need to do that again. Anyway, yeah. So be looking for that next week, listeners. Uh, we're excited to have that conversation. At least one of us is, and I'm pretty sure both of us are, because I trust Aaron and his recommendations most of the time. All right. That'll do it for us. Aaron, thanks for a great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filled.